0: to say to us today. What was it about the life of this man that's placed him as a foundation for the faith of more than half the people on earth? Five years ago, a BBC interviewer, John Humphreys, ran a series on television entitled In Search of God. And he interviewed various religious leaders about John Humphrey's own undesired, unfulfilled desire to know God, to believe in God. Was there really a God? And his guests were the Archbishop of Canterbury and a prominent Muslim cleric and Sir Jonathan Sachs, the chief rabbi of the Jewish faith in in this country. And when he was talking to Jonathan Sachs, there was this little interchange. Humphrey said, "You would like to persuade me that God exists." Sachs replied, "I believe in a God who intrudes into the human situation by way of a call, a voice." Humphreys said rather incredulously, "To you, personally, Sax replied, to me personally, yes, but that's not important. The important thing is that that voice was heard by Abraham. It led him on a journey which gave rise in the fullness of time to Judaism. Indeed, both Christianity and Islam trace their spiritual descent from Abraham. And Abraham, therefore, represents the faith of more than half the people on earth. Well, if we look in the New Testament, we certainly see that the Jews looked back to Abraham as the father of their nation. And you may remember that they challenged Christ. We are Abraham's descendants. Who do you think you are? Are you greater than our father Abraham? Who do you make yourself out to be? Could anybody, the Jews said, possibly be greater than Abraham? But then in the early days of the Christian church, you remember that first Christian martyr, Stephen, when on trial for his life, he began his defense by recounting the covenant that the Lord God made with Abraham. And particularly he starts with this passage that we're looking at today. And indeed later in the New Testament, the writer to the Hebrews lists the giants of faith and recounts this example in Abraham's life that we're looking at. So Abraham's life was clearly immensely significant in Bible history. But what can he say to us in the 21st century? Well, Abraham represents the challenge of living life simply by putting one's faith in God. As we shall see, he was no stained-glass window saint. He was no plaster icon. He was no perfect virtuous man living a life that people could look up to because he never did anything wrong. Just as the children confessed that, that none of them could say they hadn't been naughty at any time during the week. So the Bible recounts honestly Abraham's failures as well as his triumphs with God. He didn't live in isolation from the temptations and the pressures of living in the world. But Abraham believed God and he believed that he was faithful to his promises. He believed when he didn't know where. So we see In verse 1 of chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abraham, or Abram as he was called at that time, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Abraham didn't know where that was going to be. He was just called to go. He didn't know where. He was also called when he didn't know how. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. Well, no, Abraham didn't know how that could possibly come to fruition. He didn't have any family, he didn't have any children. He had a wife, but he and his wife were both very elderly at the time. So he didn't know how. He also didn't know when. We see later, and it's a a passage we'll look at in a few weeks' time in Genesis chapter 17, when God says to Abraham, Genesis 17, when Abraham was now 99 years old, he still didn't have any family, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk with me and be blameless. And in verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. 99 years old. God, what do you mean? When could this possibly be happening? He didn't know when, and he didn't know why God was calling him to do some things. Again, another passage we'll be looking at later in the summer is that time when, Abraham took his son Isaac onto the mountain and God called him to sacrifice his son. And yet, when he was obedient, before Abraham was able to bring down the knife and slaughter his son, God told him to stop and revealed that there was a sheep, a ram, caught in a thicket in his place. Abraham didn't know why. He didn't know why God was calling him in this way. And they're fundamental questions that we we ask today. We don't know where. We may not know where God wants to use us. We might not know how. We might say, how can I know God is speaking to me? When? When am I going to see God answer my prayers? When am I going to see God fulfill the things that I think he's called me to do? How? Why? Why does God put me through times of testing? Trusting God can seriously change your life. It certainly changed Abraham's life. It led Abraham to leave his home and follow wherever God led. Now, Abraham started in the city of Ur, which is down in the bottom right on the screen. It was in what we would now call Iraq, and it was perhaps about 100 miles north of the border with Kuwait. It had wealth. It had libraries. It had courts and culture. It wasn't just a desert oasis. It was a sophisticated city. And Abraham left Ur along with his father, Terah, his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, and they traveled. And they traveled. And they eventually arrived at Haran, which is the highest point there you see on, on the map. Haran is in modern-day Turkey, fairly near the border with Syria. It was a very lengthy journey. And we don't know how long they stayed there, but they certainly stayed there for a number of years until Abraham's father, Terah, died. We don't know why they They only got halfway. The American evangelist Moody talked of Haran Christians, those who are not completely out and out for God. We get halfway, and then we don't seem to get any further. We only half obey God's call upon our lives. God had plans he wanted to work out through Abraham, and he couldn't do those plans. He couldn't bring them to fulfilment. So long as Abraham remained in Haran. So, Abraham moves on. To begin with, there's just a vague promise. Destination unknown. But gradually it takes shape. And then at Shechem, which is down on the, yes, just there, the pivotal point in this journey, God makes clear that Canaan is to become the future home for Abraham and his family, his descendants, whoever they might be. However, it's going to take a while for this promise to materialize. So we go back to verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Look at God's amazing promises to Abraham. He promised to give Abraham, first of all, a land. Go, he said, to the land. I will give you. And then he promised to give him a great name. I will make your name great. He promised to make Abraham a great nation. And the greatest promise of all, he promised to make Abraham a blessing, a blessing that would spread to the whole world. Verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is surely the greatest promised to Abraham of all the promise that crowned all the rest because it was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah and indeed we see in Matthew as we begin to open the New Testament we read that this is the genealogy of of Christ the son of Abraham and so that promise was fulfilled in Christ it took Immense faith for Abraham to respond to these promises, for he had no children. And he and his wife, as we've already seen, were were getting old. Note the repeated, I will, from the lips of God. I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. Or to change the emphasis, God would do it. I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. God would do it if only Abraham would believe. Think about it. Has has God fulfilled these promises? Israel is a sovereign country with its own land. Abraham's name is revered by Jews, Christians and Muslims. The Jews have blessed all nations by giving us the Bible and supremely in Christ. So verses four to six, we go on to look at Abraham's obedience and we read verse four, so Abraham went or so Abraham left. Just simple words. So Abraham went. The bottom line, Not necessarily every day, but at points in our lives, each one of us will know God's prompting to move out of our comfort zone. It may be to move geographically to another place. It may be to move in terms of our our vocation. It may be in terms of moving in relationships. But how will we respond when God calls us to move out of our comfort zone? Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where God was calling him. He just set out. Incredible, isn't it? Just imagine. How would most of us in his position respond if we were called to get ready and move from Southampton to another country? You don't even know where that country is. You don't know what it's like there. What would we do? Okay, God, I know you're calling me, but where exactly do you want me to go? What do you want me to do when I get there? Look, I'll check out Google for Canaan. I'll I'll, I'll see on the internet what's already going on there. It may be that they don't really need me. I'll let you know whether it's the right place for me and my family to go. But the Lord doesn't work that way when we're, when we're living by faith. He says, start moving one step at a time. Just be obedient one step at a time. I'll direct you, but I won't give you directions for step two until you've shown your obedience in following me to step one. Do you want to be used by God. A willingness to step out in faith is a must for a man, a woman to be used by God. We might say, well, how do I know whether God is really speaking to me? For us it's it's really far easier than it ever was for Abraham. We've got the Bible. God has clearly spoken As we read the Bible, we find that he speaks to us today. We have the Holy Spirit. God takes his word. He applies it into hearts and lives. We have a community of believers. We can share. We can pray. We can seek God's direction together. You know, I'm not sure whether this can really be what God's asking me to do. Pray with me about it. The story of Abraham is relevant for us today because it's the story of a man of faith. If grace is what God does in our lives, then faith is how we respond. Why, you might ask, why does God take me to this point when I've got to make a difficult choice? I don't get it. God's not saying, I'm going to put you to the test just for the fun of it. A loving father takes no joy in seeing his children agonize at responding to the challenges we face. If this causes you distress, God says, it's because you still need to become a child of faith. After all, it's who you are today in the arena of faith that will affect how God will use you for eternity. If you take eternity out of the equation... Then the whole life of faith seems like wishful thinking. But once you understand that life on earth is to train and stretch to develop and mature you for heaven and the ages to come, then you'll start looking at things differently. Okay, Lord, you'll say, This is this is hard. This is hard for me. It's a tough, it's a tough call. It's uncomfortable. I don't understand, but. Even if I don't know where I'm going, I'm going to trust you, just as Abraham did. Abraham's journey, verses seven to nine. Leaving home, leaving our home country is always challenging. A new culture, new language, new people, new tasks, new food, New insects. Many new situations to face. Today, it's surely much easier for us than for Abraham. Information about the new land is freely available. Travel's not difficult. We can keep in touch with home by phone, on Skype, emails. And if things go wrong, we can usually get on a plane and fly home. But for Abraham and Sarah, it was different. They knew very well that responding to God's call meant they would never, never see their their country or their family again. They responded anyway, even though they realized that their only point of stability in the new land would be their relationship with God. They were only just beginning to, to know that God. And would that be enough? Is God with us? Do we have that sort of relationship with God that we can trust him for the unknown? Once in Canaan, they traveled around and at each place they stopped, we read that Abraham built an altar. He was underlining his understanding that God remained with him and that in this land, God would be worshipped by his family at the very least. We often think of Abraham as being in constant contact with God, holding regular conversations, because, of course, we just see those highlights recorded in Scripture. But that's not how the story is told. Many times, sometimes for years on end, Abraham and Sarah were left to work it out for themselves. The only point of reference for Abraham in this new land was his relationship with God. Would that be enough for us? I think about that. Thank you, Peter. Abraham, a life of faith. If only everything was, was straightforward and brilliant, rejoicing, honoring God. If only our lives were doing those things. But the Bible records disappointment, detour, deception, and disgrace. How do we respond when we're trying to be obedient to follow God and, and it seems to lead us into disappointment? Things don't work out the way we might have expected them to do. Verse 10 now, there was famine in the land. Famine in the place of God's leading. What a letdown. Was this really what they'd left? A prosperous, comfortable home to come to? Can't you just hear Abraham and Sarah in their tent discussing the situation? I won't say that one was necessarily criticising the other, or, but just remembering... What it was like when we were back in Ur. That was a a beautiful city with with well-watered gardens. We could go along to the market and and buy all sorts of fresh fruit and vegetables. And now we're sitting here in this desolate place. There's no rain. No rain for for our flocks. What on earth are we doing here? What has God brought us to? God was testing their faith. Were they trusting in the natural resources of the land? Or trusting in God? But they come to a detour. Instead of remaining in Canaan and trusting God, they went down to Egypt. Egypt symbolizes world a life of self-confidence self-provision whereas Canaan symbolizes a life of faith and victory Egypt was watered by the muddy Nile Canaan received fresh rains from God as we see in this passage from Deuteronomy what were they to choose Abraham abandoned his tent He abandoned his altar. He applied common sense and trusted in the world. And that led not just from a detour from God's will upon his life, but into deception and disgrace. If we'd recorded an account of Abraham's life, we might have glossed over this next part. You really, you don't want to hear about that. Um, uh, let's let's you know airbrush it out, just like a politician might airbrush something out of his life that he's not too keen on on getting into the public domain. But the Bible doesn't. And again, there are lessons for us. Faith isn't a once and for all success story. It's not like passing your driving test and then getting a license. For the next 50 years. Faith is a constant challenge. To walk with God day by day. To trust God day by day. To depend on God day by day. To hear the Holy Spirit directing, leading, upholding day by day. Even the most godly and faithful men and women of God are still prone to rely on their own resources. Rather than walk by faith. Faith has its failures. Driven by famine, Abraham left the place of God's choosing, went down to Egypt. Arriving in Egypt, Abraham became obsessed with the fear that Pharaoh might kill him in order to seize his wife Sarah for his harem. So Abraham prevailed upon Sarah to lie, saying that she was his sister. Actually, we read in Genesis 20 that she was his half-sister. But it was a lie because the motive was one of deception. So Abram prospered. The lie worked out well. He was rewarded handsomely. But if, it, if the ruse worked for Abram, it worked against Sarah. She became a member of Pharaoh's Harum or Harim, and it worked against Pharaoh because he and his household contracted plagues. What a reflection on a man of faith that we read that Pharaoh acted more righteously than Abram when he learned of the deception. Verse 18, Pharaoh summoned Abram, What have you done to me? he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why, didn't you, why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh had it in his power to command them to be, to be killed on the spot. But Pharaoh acted graciously under God's guidance, no doubt. And God is able to use even those that are not believers to fulfill his purposes. Sometimes the behaviour of non-Christians can put us to shame, particularly if we are focused upon our self-interest rather than on the honour and glory of God. This episode can serve to remind us that we shouldn't seek to wage a spiritual war using worldly common sense. The end doesn't justify the means. We can't sin and get away with it. God didn't forsake Abraham. But he did allow sin to work itself out. Sin has got consequences. It's not just something which doesn't matter. Sin has got consequences not just for you and me and those close to us but potentially often for innocent third parties. For Abraham's sin resulted in his humiliation and public disgrace. We see one sin leading to another. First, Abraham trusted Egypt rather than resting in the place where God had called him to be. He then trusted his wife's lie to protect him. It seems that Abraham was more concerned with saving his own life than he was with the safety of his wife or the safety of his promised descendants. Had Sarah been kept in that harem, how would God have fulfilled his promise? Without his tent and his altar... Abraham is behaving just like any other man in the world. What decisions do we take? What half-truths are we tempted to tell that fail to honour the Lord God? But failure isn't final. Faith has its failures, but failure isn't final. What a pathetic testimony Abraham was to a holy and sovereign God. We can all think of times and ways in which we've acted to dishonor God or failed to affirm our standing in Christ. Be encouraged. Unwise decisions do not automatically mean the end of your usefulness to God. God isn't in the business of condemning but restoring. He doesn't want to condemn us as failures, but he wants to restore us into a position where we have another opportunity to walk by faith. The bottom line is a commitment on our part to walk with God, to exercise faith, to follow in the footsteps of Abraham, as we shall learn more in in the weeks to come. So what does Abraham still have to teach us today? That faith is at the heart of a real relationship with God. And that failure isn't final. Each of us at some point, past or future, will find ourselves in a place where it may seem that circumstances seem to undermine God's promises. Just as Abraham arrived in Canaan and then found that there was a famine. We can be obedient to God and then find things really don't seem to work out. We are struggling. How can I trust God? When obedience seems to fly in the face of all my instincts for self-preservation. Even more than trusting the promises of God. Abraham teaches us to trust The God behind the promises.